standing for the reading of the Word of God. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God, who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It, recorded, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Romans 4, 13 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. While you're finding your seat and finding your Bibles to open them up to Romans chapter 4, I want to show you something. Um, you can get anything on Amazon nowadays, and, um, or you can ask your daughter to make it for you. But um, this is my righteousness meter. I don't know if you can read that word. It says righteousness. This is my righteousness meter, and um, your first talking points question, those are on the handout that's in your bulletin. They'll come up on the screen for the... For the um, Talking points today, I do not want you to answer out loud. Okay, let me say that one more time. So for the talking points today, I do not want you to answer out loud. I do not want you to answer out loud. But I want you to be honest within. Like, I want you to really be honest with yourself. And I want you to jot down some thoughts, either on the talking points, the, the Training Truths worksheet that we have that has the talking points on. Just jot down some thoughts that come to mind as we go through these. Or you can also put them on one side of your 3 by 5 card that you should have been handed when you walk in. Because we're going to come back to the talking points, Lord willing, at the end of the message. But here's a question I want to ask you about my, this is my righteousness meter. Where are you right now on the scale of Christ's righteousness? Again, do not answer out loud. And I'm saying that so many times, if it's your first time here, it's because we're pretty good about answering out loud. And I like that as a teacher, but not today. So where are you on, God, on Christ's righteousness meter? How many of you would say, well, you know what? I've, I've had a pretty rough week, so I'm probably somewhere between 25 and 50%. How many of you would say, you know what? I'm actually doing pretty well, so I'm, I'm up around 75 or 80%. How many of you might go, you know what? I'm not even sure I'm on the scale. Like, I'm at like 2%. Here's the thing. There's two ways to think of the question I just asked. One is... Christ's righteousness. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's only two places you can be on this scale. Not on it, zero, or a hundred. There's no in-between in Christ's righteousness. 
But, the, but you go, yeah, but wait a minute. What about all that talk about like, like how we live and obedience to the truth? And stuff? That's what's called sanctification. And what's hard for us is we sort of live in the tension of both. We live in this tension of, so if I say to you, where are you on the sanctification scale? That is, what is God currently doing in your life to conform you into the image of God? So for example, in um, second, I think in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that, that we all are being transformed into his image, like from glory to glory. There is a part of our Christian walk that is this tension of, of we are in the process of being conformed, even as he has already, if we are in Christ, made us 100% righteous. That's the tension that we live in. So what Paul is going to show us today is what does it look like to live in that space, to live in that tension, and what has it always looked like to live in that space? What does it look like for us to answer the question, where are you on Christ's righteousness scale? It's the same question that God asked Abraham. Abraham, where are you on my righteousness scale? But it's not, guys, the, the minute I ask this question, whether, whether before I even explain what I mean by you can only be at zero or 100%, or even in talking about sanctification, how often do we default to what we do? That's how I know whether I'm, where I'm at on the scale. How I'm doing. What Jesus is all about on both sides of this little, di- of this little I don't know what you call this, um, my, my visual aid, thank you. Um, what Jesus has always ever been about is how, who are you being? Right? It's not about doing, it's about being. So if, if Romans chapter 1... So we're, 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 I think, eight weeks into the series that we're calling Righteous Revealed. We started out with Righteous Rejected. If Romans chapter 1 was all about, like, the sin problem, the, the fact that the whole world knows about God because of creation, and that the whole world has rejected God, and then because we've all rebelled against God, chapter 2 was about what does a just God need to do about that? Is God just in his judging our rebellion? And we came to the conclusion that yes, because we would want any judge to judge someone's outward rebellion. And then chapter 3 talked about, okay, what about your inadequacy to deal with that problem? to deal with the sin problem that's, that you have in your heart that is in the world. Chapter 4 is going to take us from this, here's the sin problem, here's what God has to do about the sin problem, here's your problem with the sin problem that you can't do anything about it yourself, and he's going to begin to say, Jesus has already dealt with it, and here's exactly how. Now before he gets back into the details, so if you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, Before he gets into the details, so if you remember where we were last week, we talked about some big words. So towards the end of last week, he started to turn the corner. I mentioned last week that we started to turn the corner from the rejection of righteousness to the imputation of righteousness. How did God impute or give us or apply his righteousness to us? And Paul started turning that corner at the end of Romans chapter 3. And we learned some big words. So when he talks about and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, he goes on to say that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about, I'm sorry, so and he says in verse 24, he says, and we are justified by his grace as a gift. 
Verse 25, for God put forward Jesus Christ as a propitiation, not just the place of appeasement of his wrath, but actually the place from which, when we talked about how the word propitiation is the word that they use for the, for the mercy seat that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and how Jesus being the propitiation of our sin is, is the place from which judgment comes and also from which the place judgment is applied. And that's why he goes on to say there in Romans 3, 26, when he says, that makes Jesus both just, he is the judger, and the justifier, the one who takes the judgment on himself. Now, what Paul is going to tell us here is he's going to say, guys, it has always ever been this way. It is always, the promise of God has always ever been all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's it. And he wants to take a little bit of an aside because he's going to pick it up. We're, next week, Lord willing, we'll be in Romans 5 verse 1 and he's going to get back into this very intellectual argument. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, and he goes on to talk about this very intellectual argument, but as he's wrestling through the intellectual part of it, he takes this aside and he's like, hey, I want to tell you a little bit of God's story so that you can see where my theology is coming from because I'm not making this up. Now, before you go, wait a minute, I'm not Abraham, I'm not Jewish, I'm not, guys, I'm here to tell you, this message is for you and I, and not just because it's in God's word, it's because what, what, I, what the people, what God's people, what Christians were wrestling with during the time of Romans is exactly what we're wrestling with today. It's this propensity to works-based salvation. Right, if you're sitting here today or you're listening online, guys, we have a tendency to think that there's some part of like, okay, I get you, Doug. I get, I, but at least, at least maybe, maybe Christ's righteousness is 98%, but I've got to finish out the last two. That we, we, we live that way, and we talk to each other that way. And sadly, then we proclaim the gospel that way to a world that knows nothing of Christ's righteousness. We start with behavior instead of beholding. And so I get ahead of myself. So in this message today, what we're talking about is what is the power in, the prom, in a promise? What is the power and a promise? And what we're going to see is that it's only ever been one, the promise has only ever been one thing. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And faith alone is sola fide. So my question today is, is your life demonstrating the sola fide promise? Is your life demonstrating that you are saved by faith alone? Now there's one, one way to not demonstrate it is works-based. Another way to not demonstrate it is I'm, I just have the right to be saved. Paul's going to show us that. Another way is to go, I need to fulfill a set of rules, the law. And then there's the only real way, and that is by believing in the promise of God. But here's an, another way to not demonstrate the sola fide promise. To beat yourself up about all of your failures. So one way would be to live in a works-based righteousness, to go, I need to keep doing better. I need to keep trying harder. I, 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 I. Another very, just as damning way, just, and I'm using that word on purpose, just as damning a way is for us to go, you know what, I just, I'm horrible. There's no way Jesus still loves me because I've done X, Y, or Z. Because either one of those things is not living in the sola fide promise. It cannot be by faith alone if somehow you can undo what Christ did. Right, so with that, let's pick it up in our first point. And we're going to see, how is your, is your life telling the sola fide story? The first point is, sola fide, 
Faith alone, not works. Now, we're going to move through these points hopefully rapidly. I say that, and thank you for not laughing, but it's going to happen because we have a whole chapter we're going to get through today on purpose because the whole chapter tells the story. He says this, what, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. In other words, he's saying, so what did Abraham earn? Remember, he's talking to a group of people that, because almost, not all, but almost all of the Christians at this point were converted Jews. So this is the background they've come out of. Many of the people we're trying to engage with have, if they have any inkling at all of God, the Bible, and Christ, it's some religious background, Right, And so we want to be able to say, okay, but, but what's gained by your religion? And then he goes on to say, for if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith alone, Abraham believed, is what verse 3 says. Guys, the word there for counted is logizomai, in the Greek. It's used, Paul uses that word logizomai 11 times in this chapter. It's an accounting term. It could be, some of yours might say credited. It might say um, account, like, like, like the ESV says counted, accredited, on account of, um, reckoned. It was reckoned to him. It's, a, it's this idea of your ledger has been made right. Right? There's no longer any red in your ledger because of something that happened. Well, what happened? He believed is what it says. Guys, make no mistake. Here, here, well, let me, let me read the next verse. He says this. Now, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Now, get what Paul's saying here. Guys, here's what, it's, here's what is at stake in chapter 4 of Romans. Are your... Are you earning God's grace or is it a gift? Right? Is, 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 is your, the credit in your account something you worked for or was it just something that was handed to you? Right? What he's saying is, Paul, if, if you want to work for your wages, then or if you want to work, then, then you're getting wages. You're not getting a gift. Now look at verse 5. He says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him. Who's the him? The one who does not work but believes in him. Verse 5. Jesus, who believes in Jesus, who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted to him as righteousness. Now guys, he's as if to drive the point home, he starts with Abraham. He's going to take this aside and he's going to point out another one of their patriarchs. Like, like the guy that the Jewish people thought was the guy was David, King David. And he's going to point out that, that, that not only did Abraham know that he was only righteous by faith, so did David. And he, so, so he says in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. And then he's going to go on in the next couple of verses and quote Psalms, um, Psalm 32, but we're going to turn there. So turn, if you would, to Psalm 32, because Paul is, is in, in some way, he's really pushing this point of saying, guys, because remember, the point he's trying to make here is, in, in, this, in Romans 4, in all of Romans 4, the point he's trying to make here is, guys, it has only ever been by faith alone. It's never been about the law. 
We have, we've gotten, so Pharisees have gotten you guys so wrapped up in, in behavior. The church, sadly, today, flash forward to today, the church gets so wrapped up in behavior that we forget that, no, it's only ever been about faith alone. And then he's like, and to prove it to you, let me read to you from our, from our king, David. Look what he says in, in Psalm 32, verse 3, or verse 1. This is a psalm David wrote after he sins with Bathsheba, after he has Bathsheba's husband murdered, right? And, and, and he writes this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now get this. He doesn't say, so when I was acting good, you loved me. But in verse 3, he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, my groaning all day long. When I was hiding my sin, I was in a really bad way. For the day and the night, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed it and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you, are, when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters, they, will, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Guys, understand what, 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 he, what Paul is doing by, by pulling Psalm 32 forward. He's saying, guys, David knew that it wasn't his behavior that saved him. And he thanked God for it. And if David did, then how much more should we? But legalism, guys, creeps, has creeped into the church like throughout the centuries. I mean, just think about just a few that we deal with even today. The big difference between, there's, there are many differences between Roman Catholicism and evangelicalism. But the big difference between Roman Catholicism is, and, and, our, and what we believe is they add something to the grace of God. It's called works. It's grace plus. So do the Mormons. So do the Jehovah Witnesses. So do my spiritual ancestors, the Amish. My dad was Amish when he was in grade school, and, and, that's the, and part of me goes, man, that's such a great way to live, and no cell phones, and, well, although they do have them now. And, um, you know, like, what well, this, this would be awesome, but guys, the problem is it's, it's grace. We believe in the grace of God, but, but we also have to do these things in order to be saved. Guys, and we're not, you say, yeah, but I'm not any of those things, but we're not beyond that either. Guys, Christian moralism is, 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 is ramping back up. The minute we say, let me just say it this way. So, well, let me just, let's just read the second talking points question first, and then, and then we'll go on. Second talking points question. So this is, stop right now and be honest with yourself before you answer these. How much of your salvation do you feel like you need to earn? How much of it are you trying to earn? Like, just be, like, just, like, like, genuine, I, you may intellectually know I can't earn any of it. How much of it are you trying to do? Just like jot down a percentage or maybe one word that would tell you, here's an area where I know I'm trying to earn. Here's a part of my, a corner of my life where I'm trying to earn my salvation. And then here's the, the follow-up to that would be, and in what ways are you projecting that kind of thinking onto other people? In other words, how, many, how are you projecting, hey, you need to earn your right standing with Jesus. Now, you may not say it that way. I don't think anybody that's been here for any length of time would ever say it that way, but how often do we do that? Because the minute we say something like, 
the gospel plus spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible every day, praying every day, the minute we say that's required for salvation, which I get that people could hear. I mean, if you've been here very long, you know what my soapbox is, right? It, it's not, I'll tell you, I, I, we ought to be in God's word every day, and it's not, it's not a salvific, salvific thing. We ought to do what Josh and, and Scott were challenging us to do. We ought to be praying without ceasing. It is not for your salvation. But the minute I say the gospel plus spiritual disciplines, or how about the gospel plus purity? Guys, I'm praying that the um, Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade too. I'm praying for an end of abortion in our nation also, and we should be. But we ought to understand something. The church has been really good at shoving young ladies into those places by preaching a sense of purity that is directly tied to whether they really follow Jesus or not. And we need to own that. Right? If a young lady, if a, if a young lady got pregnant in our body or from our, that was not that was just connected to one of us, would we would they and if she was not married, would she feel comfortable coming into our community? And we need to own that. The church does. The minute we say the gospel plus politics, oh, don't go there, Doug. Don't go there, Doug. Guys, there are people out there that are saying if you're a Christian you, and you vote, if you vote Democrat, you cannot possibly be a Christian. Now, guys, during the election, you remember we held up both parties. I get both party stances, like the, just the national party stances that are out there in public. I understand that one of them, the R1, is far more aligned with the word of God than the D1. I get that. I also get that whether you vote Republican or Democrat has nothing to do with your salvation. And the minute we lead with that on our Facebook page or our Twitter account or in our conversations with one another, we are, we are right where Paul is telling us we should not be. And we need to own that as well. Guys, is the first call that Christ makes to a person behave? Is the first, that's one I want you to answer out loud. It's not a talking points question. Is that, is the first call that Christ makes to a person behave? No, no it's behold. It's behold. It's believe. It's become. The behave stuff will come after that. We need to lead with what he leads with. So today, is your life telling of the sola fide promise? First of all, it's faith alone, not work. Second of all, it's faith alone, not rights. And this point starts in verse 9. He says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? So he's saying, our own word, Genesis 15, 6, says it was counted to him as righteousness. How was it counted? Like, how did he become righteous? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but it was before. Guys, he's saying, so does your religious activity save you, or does the, or does the belief you have in God save you? Now, another way to look at circumcision for Paul's audience was, 
are you of God's people or are you out of God's people? And that's kind of how I want to take it here. So if you keep reading in verse 11, he says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness. That's, what, that's why we baptize people. It's a seal. It's a demonstration of the righteousness already applied. He's saying he received the circumcision. And oh, by the way, he received circumcision. He, he, he was counted as righteousness in Genesis 15. He received circumcision, like God institutes that, in Genesis 17. Now, you're, now we're not going to turn there because you're going to turn there this week. Your daily readings this week are going to take you through this story because it's important. And I don't have time to do it all today, but you have the same Holy Spirit I do. And you should be doing the daily readings and getting the In the Word Today devotional that we send out that helps bring some clarity to what you're going to be reading this week. But you're going to read about how he was counted as righteousness in chapter 15. Well, he's called in chapter 12, counted in 15, circumcised in 17, puts Isaac on the altar in 22 as just more proof that he really believed in God's promise. But he says, he says the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them as well. So he's saying, the Jew, the Gentile, it doesn't matter. It's everybody has come to faith the same way. It's by believing in a promise. And then he says in verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here's, here's the point Paul's trying to make. Paul, God's people, the Jewish people, and, and frankly, having been in Israel before, there, there's still a lot of this in Judaism over there now. They believe that God is obligated to bless them because they're his, because he's their people, or they're, they're his people. They believe that God is like, like, well, hey, you know what? We are your people. You are obligated to bless us. I'm circumcised. That makes me part of you. That means you have to bless me because of what I was born into. Again, we can go, yeah, okay, but Tuck, I, I, what, what circumcision in Abraham and the Jew? That's not who we are. Okay, look at your talking points, question number three. Stop right now and be honest with yourself about this. How much do you think God owes you? Now, guys, I get intellectually that nobody here is going to say, and you see now why I said don't answer out loud. Because almost everybody here, guys, answer out loud. How much does God owe you? Nothing. Nothing. I, I know we know that. The question is, in, our deep, like in the deep, dark recesses of our souls, do we really believe that? Like, do we really go, yeah, you know what, you don't, or, or and, and how do I know if I really believe that? Well, what happens when things don't go your way? You're like, man, wait a minute. I, I, I was at church today. I read my Bible this morning. I prayed. I'm loving my wife in an understanding way. I'm raising my kids in the in wisdom and knowledge of God. I'm doing all these things. And why did I still get cancer? That's not fair. God, you owe me better. Now, we might not take it to that last sentence, but that's what all the rest of that just said. Guys, the minute we believe that somehow all that is wrong, like we start getting this, like, like what's wrong in our life, even the busyness and the hurriedness of our lives, the kids that have wandered away from the faith, the, you just list them off. The minute we start going, well, if, if that has done anything to your relationship with God in a negative way, it's because you think he owes you more. It's, that's just the reality. And we all in our heart of hearts have areas where that's true, guys. We all have, I wrote down, like, guys, are, do we, does God owe us because we're better than those people? 
I don't practice those sins. We talk about that a lot here. How about I was raised in a Christian home? How about I model a Christian marriage? How about I live in a Christian country? Guys, we actually have professing Christians that believe that somehow God is going to bless us because we're a Christian nation. If we would just get back to those Christian roots, God would somehow bless us like he's a genie in a bottle. There is no place in scripture for that at all. Just none. Now, would God really prefer that our nation live in his in obedience to his word? Of course he would. Just like he would for Doug to live in obedience to his word. But he's not a genie in the bottle that we can just go, if we would just pray and get everybody acting better, somehow God will bless America again. It's just not true. God has no covenant with the United States of America. He has a covenant with God's people who live in it. But the minute we start preaching that, but God, if we would do this, then you'll do that. There is this real danger, as true as that can be, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's a real danger to turning that from this side of, hey, I'm just growing in sanctification, to you're going to make me something apart from Christ. And we cannot have that. So, Look at the question we're asking today is, is your life telling the solo, just the, the by faith alone story? So it's sola fide, not works. It's sola fide, not rights. It's sola fide, not law. We've spent a lot of time talking about law Paul has. So we're going to quickly go through these next part. Look at verse 13. He says, for the promise of the, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that it, that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith guys understand that so paul so abraham is is declared as righteousness in, in, righteous in genesis 15 that's 2100 bc the law comes through moses in around 1400 bc some 500 years later so, so, so if righteousness, if, if Abraham's righteousness came through the law, how is that even possible if Abraham was righteous 500 years before the law even existed? Then he says, for it is, it, it is, it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, who, who are, I'm sorry, for it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is, no, if, sorry, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void. We, in other words, we can't have it both ways, guys. We, if, if somehow part of our righteousness is, matters to us, then none of it matters. Right? Like, for, then none of it is, like, if, then, then none of Christ's righteousness matters for us. So you either have to believe that our righteousness is all applied, 100% of it, through Christ, or none of it is, but there's no place in here for, like, 50-50-50. Which is what religion sort of is what it's what religion teaches is this 50-50 faith. So he says, verse 17, as it is written, I have made the, you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. He gives life to the dead and calls into being. I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 16, because I skipped that part. I don't know why. He says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all his offspring, 
not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's saying, if you believe in the promise, you are of the faith of Abraham because Abraham believed in the promise. So here, look at, look at talking points question number four. How come, sola fide, how come faith alone is so elusive to us? Why is it so hard for us to simply believe that it's all Jesus doing the work in our lives? Like why, why do we interject ourselves into that so often? That's really why Paul is taking this time to write this chapter. He's saying, guys, we have interjected ourselves into the story way too much. And, and it's because we just, we just cannot possibly believe that it's all in the promise of God. And that's our last point. So the sola fide story is told if your life is living solely believing that you're made right with God by God. 100%. That's it. And look at what he says. He says, in hope, he believed against hope. In other words, when there was no earthly reason for Abraham to hope, that's verse 18, he hoped anyway, that he would become the father of many nations and, that he, and as he had been told, so, your, so shall your offspring be. Guys, understand, Abraham was saved by looking, and, and you'll see this in Genesis 15, 17, 22. The reason he's able to put Isaac on the, on the altar in Genesis 22 is because he believes that somehow... This promise that through Isaac, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac, this promise is going to be fulfilled. This promise of being the father of many nations. So he's like, even if I kill this boy, who wasn't even a boy by then, God will raise him from the dead somehow. Because he has to to fulfill his promise. Not to give me a reward, but because he just, he made a, it's his word. And he holds himself to his word. Now, guys, did Abraham struggle? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, so he, he is counted righteous in Genesis 15. In Genesis 16, he, um, his wife comes to him and says, hey, we haven't had a kid yet. Why don't you go into my maidservant and have a child? And he's like, you know, that sounds, this sounds pretty right. I mean, I, I, I believe I was counted as righteous, but somehow I started to doubt and I feel like maybe I need to help God out a little bit. So I'm going to be, I'm down here about, so maybe if I go to Hagar and we have a kid through Hagar, that'll bounce us back up to 100%. Well, how's that work for the world, guys? I mean, not just in our own lives, but man, uh, most of the Middle East conflict is because of that poor choice. Right? Ishmael was not the promise. Isaac was. But did Abraham... Guys, then later... So that's in Genesis 16. Then you go to chapter um, 20, I think it is, in Genesis. And Abraham's going up to Abimelech, a king in the area. And he's scared. Wait, wait a minute. This is Abraham. Righteous. Believe God. Promise. I believe in God. Promises of God. Oh, yeah. I'm going to walk out of church on Sunday going, I believe. I believe. I don't even have any doubt. And then Abimelech walks up and he's like, yeah, she's my sister. He tells us, he tells the king, she's my sister because he's afraid that they're going to kill him so that they can have her. I won't give you the word for what he just did to his wife, but it isn't good. This is the man who was counted as righteous? Guess what? Yes. Why? Because maybe, maybe in those moments, his sanctification scale was down here. 
Christ-likeness, not so much. I don't think Christ would do that to his wife. But his righteousness always stayed at 100%. Why? Because it wasn't based on what he did to his wife. It wasn't based on whether he took matters into his own hands. It wasn't based on any of his behavior. It was only based on what God did. So pick it up in verse 20. He says, now no... Um, I'm sorry, pick it up in, um, yeah, verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. So he's saying, he's saying, he never doubted somehow, by faith, he never doubted the promise, even though we know he wrestled. He grew strong, so that gives us, guys, the patriarchs of the Bible, if you don't ever read your Old Testament, you should. If for no other reason, it will give you great faith, or great confidence that God can use you and I. Right? Because every one of them is like a train wreck. And these are the men and women that God used. And so, so he's like, yeah, even this one who struggled, he, it's still, he, he gave glory to God. Now get this, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. The question I ask is, are we? Are we fully believing that he is willing to, that he is able to do what he promised? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And hope against hope, he believed if there's nothing else going on right in your life right now, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that your eternity is secure? And that no matter what else is going on, no matter what struggles you have, no matter how many times you slip and fall, no matter what you do or don't do, that your eternity is secured, which is a long time in a very glorious place because of what Christ did. Thank you. Guys, we're going to skip down to verse 24 in the interest of time. Well, let me, the, the second, let me start in verse 23. But the words, it was counted, it was reckoned to, it was credited to him, were not written for his sake alone. So in other words, God wasn't displaying where righteousness comes from just so Abraham knew. He says, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for the trespasses, for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Guys, this is Paul's whole point. He has now taken four chapters, not just chapter four, but all four chapters to get us to this place of do you believe that the promise of God is he will apply his righteousness to you through his son free of charge. Romans 1, 16 and 17 is where we started eight weeks ago. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of God's saving faith, for it is the power of God unto salvation, salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first, Abraham first, and then to the Gentile. For in it, do you remember what's in the gospel? For in it, the Dikaiosune, the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith for faith. For the righteous man shall live by believing in that promise. Like that's the gospel message. And that's the, Paul is trying to get us to the point of going, guys, everybody's a sinner. God has to judge sin. We cannot do anything about getting right in that judgment in our rebellion. So are you going to believe that Jesus did the work? Guys, Understand this, and we'll pick this up again even next week. The first covenant God made was not with Abraham. It wasn't with David. 
who was, who was after Abraham, the Davidic covenant. It wasn't Abraham, the, Abra, the Abrahamic covenant. It wasn't even Noah, the Noetic covenant. It was with Adam. The first covenant, the first promise God made was to Adam. And it was a promise of work. Not, not after, I'm talking about before the fall. He told Abraham, or he told Adam, Adam, you are in my image and you are going to rule this world. You're going to subdue it. You're going to take care of it. You're, and, and because of sin, everything went sideways and we've talked a lot about how that happened. But guys, it was still a covenant of work. It's just now who did the work. It's still a covenant of work. It's just Jesus did it all. Right, so, so that's the difference between this way of thinking, sanctification, what work still needs to be done in my life, and there's a place for that for us as we get conformed to the image of Christ, and this way of thinking. Who did all the work? Jesus did. That's it. He made right what Adam and Eve's rebellion, which we have now partnered in, made wrong. By, do, by, by fulfilling that covenant that God made with Adam, and Adam was not able to fulfill. Guys, if there is a God and he is revealed in his word, and there is a God and he does reveal himself in the word, and he says that I am holy and worthy of worship, the question becomes, are you ready to let your life display that? Like, are you ready to be that person that says, I'm gonna display that not by being obedient, not by working my way up to God, but by simply believing in and sharing in the fact that God came down. That's the gospel. We don't have to work our way up. It's what man has been trying to do from the Tower of Babel, is work their way up to God. And God's like, no, I've done it all. I've done all the work. You don't have to work your way up. I came down. And I came down and I applied my righteousness to your life. So as the music team comes up and we're going to go into our time of response, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're not doing communion today. The question we're asking today is, is your life telling the, the sola fide story? Is your life displaying in faith alone? Guys, is your life living proof that Christ lives? Now again, there's two ways to see that. Even as I say that, even after, even after just spending 45 minutes or so talking about this, when I say something like, is your life demonstrating that Christ lived? Many of you in this room think about what you have done today, yesterday, last week. What's your behavior like? It's where we default to. We, def we default to this. The question is, do you believe this? And do you profess this are you able to say you know what my life is displaying it's okay my life is displaying that um that i believe in the sola fide story because when i fall i know christ is the one who picked me up like i'm able to admit to my to my spouse to my children to those people that i'm engaged with i'm able to just admit hey you know what i need jesus like, I need him. Because I, I can't do it. And I need him because he did. So guys, what is the power of a promise? That was the title of the message. The power of the promise is what the promise is, that I will make you right. But here's the other, here's, the, here's where the power comes from. It's not just what the promise is, it's who made it. 
Right? This promise is not a promise made by me or by you or by someone in your past that's broken promises to you. This promise is made by God. And he keeps his word, all of it. For all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Right? He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He did it. That's where the power of the promise is. So what I want to ask you to do is take your three by five card, look back over your talking points, and we're going to have just a few minutes of music, and I, and, and I want to ask you to, to write down two things on your card. One, what is a promise that you are fully confident in? Like, you, you know this promise has been applied to your life, and I want you to write that down to him as a praise. And the second one is, what is a promise that you're hoping for? Because we all have those two. Like, maybe it's an unsaved family member. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it is, like, like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just believing that you are going to give me victory in this, in this besetting sin struggle that I have. Whatever those things are. So one is, here's a promise I absolutely know to be true. And it's applied to my life. And praise him for that. And the other is, and God, here's a promise I'm giving to you. And in hope against hope, I'm going to believe. And then I'm going to ask you as the music team is playing their music and then doing the song of response, whenever you feel led, just take them and put them on our wall. Give them to the Lord. Like literally give it to the Lord as a way to say thank you and as a way to say help. Because both sides of this are true. Thank you, Lord, for your righteousness. Help me live like Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you that your righteousness has been applied to our hearts, not by what we do or don't do, but by, simply by what we believe by faith. That you give us the faith to believe. So Lord, as we ask you to search our very souls and remind us of the, of the good things that are fully applied to our lives, Lord, I, I, that, that would turn our hearts to confidence to encouragement, to courage, to boldness, to kindness. Because you have done all the work. And there's much, there's everything to be praiseful for in that. And then I would ask that you would help us to see what are those, what is something that we, that we want to trust you for? We want to give it to you. Because we know it's a lot more likely to get done in your hands than it is in ours. For the fame and the glory of your name. Amen.